I don't, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed uh, this kind of more verse by verse. Of course, we're kind of taking a jog through, so we're not hitting every single verse. But this just uh, kind of overview survey, if you will, of, of a book. You know, a lot of times we, we kind of do topical um, series, uh, which are good and serve a purpose. But there's just something about just... Just trying to figure out what it was that this script, this this book, this scripture says, and and just breathing that in that that is so life giving, and, and I I trust that the Lord's been blessing you as well as as me as we've been going through this. Um, today we're we're going to be talking about the new covenant versus the old. Um, the the writer of Hebrews calls it you know the. the the, the name of the series is Greater Than, because everything in this is all about Jesus, and it's all about how Jesus is greater than, and, and what he ushered in is greater than what was. And so today, the, the, the passage, the chap, part of the, the book that I'm, we're going to be looking at is focused on the covenant. How the new covenant is better than, it's greater than the old covenant, which... which uh, I think we you know, we know, uh, but 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 I think we miss sometimes uh, exactly how how different it is. And so today, um, in our passage, we're going to see um, three ways that it's different. Three ways that the new covenant, the, the 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 relationship with God that Jesus, life, death, resurrection ushered in is three ways it's different than the old way, the old covenant, the Old Testament sacrificial system, and, and all that preceded what Jesus did uh, while he was here on earth. So we're going to see three ways that it's different, and then we're going to see four ways that we can live with a, this lasting, vibrant hope that this new covenant brings. So we're, first we're going to, the, the author's going to kind of walk us through some kind of the theology, the, the reality, the truth of what happened and, and why it's different, and then, and then he's going to give us four practical action steps that we can engage in to, to participate in this new covenant to, to make it real and, and, and have it actually change and transform our lives. Amen? All right, well, we're going to jump right in, uh, but first, let's just, let's just invite the Lord uh, into, into his word and open our, our minds and our hearts. God, we, we thank you. God, we've sensed your presence this morning. God, we don't take it for granted that, that every day we, that we pursue you, that we open ourselves up to your presence, that you are so faithful to, to show up as well, fully by your choice, God. Lord, as we, we examine your scripture, would, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive what it is that you have for us today? God, would you challenge us? Would you comfort those who need comfort through your word today? Would you encourage those who need encouragement? Will you, will you exhort? Will you um, convict us of the things that we need to, to make changes in our life? God, we, we want to know you more as we, we engage with your word this morning. Amen. Amen. So we are, uh, if you remember, we left off in, in Hebrews chapter 8. And so we'll be uh, kind of picking back up, up there. Uh, Hebrews 8, starting in verse 6. It says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he has... He is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. 
If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Makes sense. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. Listen, when we join Jesus, the covenant we enter is different different than the original one. Because of what Jesus did, it's, it's a better covenant, it's a different covenant, it's a new covenant. And it's not, sometimes we get this idea that it's, it's, a, it's just this like upgrade, right? Like, you, you know, you had the iPhone 6 and now you got the iPhone 7 or 10 or 50, I don't know, whatever version they're on now. Um, you know, and it's, it's better. It's so much better. It's got, you know, the camera looks better and you got extra hard drive room and it, it, whatever. It's got a, you know, all the features are, are, are a little better. And, but that's not really what we're talking about here. If we're going to make an analogy in technology, it would be more like comparing the difference, not between the iPhone 7 and the iPhone 8, but more like the iPhone 8 and the first phone ever created. And I don't, I don't mean like the one on your wall when, you know, back in the 70s. I mean like the first one. Um, you know, the first phone actually, that recorded phone call was actually not Alexander Graham Bell. There was a guy before him named Philip, Philip, Philip Rice um, who, created, who created the first real phone call and presented it actually at, at, at this this international um, physics symposium years before Alexander Graham Bell. Um, When he presented it, though, it was the the people who saw it didn't see any real practical application for it in in life. Um, And so it never really gained any any ground with with his his work, never really gained any ground. Uh, I thought it was interesting. So uh, to the first phone call that he ever made on this device at that conference to show anybody. So the, the first words ever spoken over the phone were this, just in case you needed to know this. The horse does not eat cucumber salad. Those were the first words ever spoken over telephone. I know, it makes no sense, but I guess that's why he did it. He wanted to prove that it, wasn't, it was something that, you know, that the other person on the other end could actually understand what was going on. Um, this is what we're talking about. The difference, the covenants are that much different. This phone, they had the same goal, the original phone and the phone you have in your pocket right now, but they're completely different technologies, completely different power. Um, and sometimes that we, we, we misevaluate how much difference it is when we, especially when we're reading the Old Testament. And so, so in our, in our, our text, if we keep reading, we, we see three big differences. The three major shifts that this new covenant, um, ushers into our lives. And the first one is this. Number one is things moved, our relationship moved from, to in, to inside out from Outside in communication. Say that again. Our relationship, the covenant, moved from an outside in to an inside out style of communication. We see this if we keep reading verse 10. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
When we enter this new covenant, we get an internal guidance system that was not available previously. That's why the law, and there is so much, when we read the Old Testament, we read some of these stories, and, and it's like, it, it seems just crazy to us that people kind of acted the way they did, and, and God seemed so harsh. But the reality was, there had to be um, a whole lot more external restraint on us because we did not have access to an internal guidance system like we do now. Because Jesus hadn't come and released his, sport, his Holy Spirit in the way that he has now. The, 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 the prophecy that, that Joel said about him, him, one day he'll release his spirit on all flesh and men will dream dreams and see visions and, and all that stuff hadn't happened. And so we, we needed more external um, restraint because our our... Our tendency, our, our, our bent towards evil was just so much less in check. And so the first big shift we see, the seismic shift, is that we now have an inside communication. There is the Spirit of God within us that is guiding us towards the path of God. Guiding us towards righteousness. There is, there is a... If you are a follower of Jesus, you have, you have the, the, the Holy Spirit within you that is telling you in real time, that was dumb. Right? We've all had, you've had that moment. The thing comes out of your mouth, and as soon as it comes out, you, you, you know, this, that, that, that should not have come out of my mouth. Right? This is true in right and wrong. This is true on, on, on just a life level. That the Holy Spirit guides us, even in things that aren't even an issue of morality. Sometimes, have you ever had the, the, had, had the um, experience where you just, and it's, just, it's a faith thing, there, there's no way to really prove it, where you know that like, you just for some reason felt like you needed to do this, this, this thing instead of that thing, and then it unfolds and it ends up being this really big deal. Right? And, and you just know in your heart that that was, that that was the Holy Spirit guiding you in a direction that had, had He not, you would have been in, in, in a world of hurt. We now have this amazing inside communication. So that's the first, the first change. The second change is this. We, we are moving to, to direct communication instead of uh, what the next verse will talk about is greatest to least style of communication. Verse 11 says, And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know Him already. What's that saying? Basically, if we go back to our phone analogy, we're moving from party lines. Do you guys remember? None, none of us probably remember party lines, but I, I certainly don't. But I know that they were a thing. That you would have a line to a group of people, or a, even sometimes if you go far enough back, there would be a telephone in a town, right? <laughs> and you call the, 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 the town, and, you leave, and just somebody picks up, and you leave a message, right? And everybody there had to work with this same telephone, Versus now, we, we all have our own individual phones. If I want to call, talk to you, I can call you directly. If your kid's over 11, I can probably call your kid directly. Because we've all got phones now, right? 
We have no more party lines. The Holy Spirit is alive and trying to communicate and lead every believer. See, back then, it was a greatest to least kind of model. You had to see the, the, the priest would teach the men, and the men would teach their wives, and the wives would teach the kids. You had, to, you had your connection to God and understanding the law and all of these things were largely dependent on a whole chain of people receiving what God was trying to communicate. And... Probably everyone in the room and everyone online at home has played the game of telephone, right? Where you get in a circle and you whisper something to one person, it goes around, by the time it gets to the end, it's nowhere near that first message, right? It's not efficient. It takes a, takes a long time and there's a lot of margin for error. The new covenant eliminates that and allows God to speak directly to us. It's a completely different communication model. So that's the second one. Number three, third way it's different is we switched from one, uh, once a year forgiveness to once for all forgiveness. Verse 12, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Read that again. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Somebody needs to know that this morning. That your sins, if you've repented of your sins, if you've asked the Lord to forgive you of that uh, of a sin, it is forgiven. It is gone. There is no at that point there is no he's never going to bring it up again. In any sort of condemning way. So if, you're, if there is a, an issue in your life, a sin issue in your life that you've repented of, because I think we, many of us have experienced this, where you repent of it, you, you genuinely repent of it, but, but you still feel guilty, right? And it still becomes, it still is the reason why you feel, it, you feel justified for, for um, you know, bad things happening in your life or, 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 or your disconnection with God. You know, I mean, I repented of that, but I probably didn't do that right. So, of course, I can't really, you know, my, my, my relationship with God just feels very distant. That, that's a lie. This, I mean, the scripture says right here, he will forgive our sins and, I, and never remember them again. That's, that's, the, that's the enemy trying to use that to keep us separated from, from God. Such an amazing difference. Such an amazing difference. Then, then old model, old covenant, once a year the high priest has to right, go into the, to the temple or the tabernacle and, and, and do the sacrifice and, and do it just right. You know, you, I don't know if you remember, they used to tie the rope around the ankle of the guy going in in case he did it wrong. And, you know, because if he did it wrong, he got struck down dead and they'd have to drag him out and, you know... Send somebody else in. <laughs> it's a completely different model of, of forgiveness that, that we're under. And it, it's amazing. And I think for us, it's, it's so hard for us to even imagine the old model that, that sometimes we don't, we don't marvel and appreciate as much as maybe we should the new covenant that, God, that Jesus has provided for us. It's amazing. 
And we go on. Verse 13, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete. And it's now out of date and will soon disappear. That's such a crazy thought to me. That the law is temporary. You ever thought about that? Like when Jesus comes back, when, when, this, when, when he comes again and sets this whole thing right, there will be no need for the law. Because we will all see him fully, know him fully, understand fully. We, 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 there's not going to be this, there's not going to be temptation. There's not going to be this, this compulsion or this weakness that we fall prey to. Think about it. In heaven, we just get to, when he comes back the second that we get to literally do anything we want because everything we want to do will be okay. Man, that's going to be fun. You can't, it's like great to think about, but sometimes you don't want to think about it too much because then you kind of get like a little fatalistic and you might just be like, you know, you get a little, get a little eternally homesick and we start, you know, start looking around and you start going, Ugh. you know, <laughs> just, uh, you know, Lord, can you just please come today? Uh, it's like when you go, go to some real nice, you know, hotel for a weekend or something and everything's clean and everything's just so and it's, you know, curated and decorated and the bed's amazingly comfortable and all these things and you're going out to eat so somebody's cooking you food and, and then you go, you know, you come home and, you know, there's six piles of toys everywhere and laundry's all messed up <laughs> and no one's cooking me meals, I have to do it myself. But one day we will, we won't have to worry about the law anymore. It's amazing. So those are the differences that the author is trying to encourage us with between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then in chapter 9 and 10, the author goes into great detail about the whole, how the Old Testament structures, um, the tabernacle and the temple, how they were designed to be physical representations or hints at this covenant that Jesus was going to usher in. Now, we don't, we don't have time to go through um, all of those in specifics. Uh, I, I'll leave that to you if, if you want to do that in your own study this week. Um, but he, he, he does that, and then, um, but he then kind of clarifies what the point of all that is. In, there's a big takeaway for us in, in chapter 9 in the middle of this whole section, which is, is weird to us because we're, you know, Americans. We come from like the Greek train of thought, which is, you know, and we're academic. We, we learned in school how you build a thought process, right? If you write a paper, you start with your thesis and you then you prove it and then you restate it at the end, right? That's the way, the right way to do things. But that's not the Hebrew way of, of, of creating a, 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 a thought process. Many times in Hebrew writing, they actually put the most important thing, the main point, they actually put it in the middle. And then they build out from there like this. And it's... It, 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 our brains don't work that way. We don't typically think that way. And so we lose that sometimes when we're reading Scripture. Um, you see this a lot, especially, you know, we did the series on the, on the parables um, a, f- a few months ago. 
And we didn't talk a lot about this structural thing um, because, well, I wanted you all to come back the next week. And there's just not a lot of people that are super into Hebrew poetic structure. Um, and so we didn't spend a lot of time on that. But it is, it is a valid um, kind of little hint when you're, when you're uh, reading Scripture. Uh, if it's anything, if it's in the Old Testament or if it's, if it's from a, a kind of a Jewish perspective, that a lot of times the main point isn't at the beginning. It's in the middle. And we see that here. And so for time's sake, we're just going to jump right, right to that, that portion. And it um, starts in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. The author writes, So Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more per- perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not a part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Amen. And he repeats this in in verse 28, 9, 28. He says, So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait him. I was rereading that this morning a little bit. That, that phrase just really kind of resonated with me. He will come not to, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation. Jesus already came and dealt with our sins. You know, so much of the time we talk, when, we, when um, there's this kind of like hard question, and it's, it's, it is hard to, to wrap your mind around the idea of, of eternal judgment. Right, it's a heavy topic, and Jesus coming back, and the end of the world, and and people going to hell, and it's really hard. It's hard how you know people wrestle with that. How can a loving God, you know, do that to people? But I think this verse kind of kind of encapsulates. That's not what He's coming to do. That is a consequence that some people will experience due to their rebellion, but Jesus is not coming back. His intent is not to come back to send people to hell. His intent is to come back to bring salvation to all who eagerly await for him. That is his heart. That is his passion. That's why he came the first time. The deal is done. The writer is reminding his audience and us that there is nothing more Jesus needs to do to forgive and redeem us. He did it all, and he did it all before we became these respectable, nice, clean-cut, you know, Christians that we see today. He did it, Scripture says, while we were still sinners. Before we liked him. Back when we, we thought it was a, he, he was a, he was a, well, not all of us, you know, some of us grew up in, in, in understanding and, and with some you know, at least connection or, or respect for God. But, but there are plenty of us that, 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 and in my case, both grew up like that and had a time of life where they were completely against what, what he was trying to do here on earth. Um, even in the worst moment that you've ever been in, he had already paid the price. The scripture talks about how he's already 
He's already paid the price for all of those things. Christ's work in heaven is complete. And because of that, we can have confidence that his work will continue until that completion plays out in time. Right? It's complete in eternity. And it's invading time. It's that idea, that tension between the now and the not yet. It's, and it's, it's beyond, it's, in a large degree, it's just above our pay grade, right? It's just stuff our brains don't, doesn't, doesn't compute very well. But it's true that it is complete in heaven and it is, he will be faithful to have that completion invade earth to the point where it is complete here and in our experience as well. And then we see the, the author here shift a little bit. In, in chapter 10, verse 19, the, the, the writer now pivots from this kind of theological empowerment, right? He's been trying to encourage us and, and, and reminding us and, and encouraging us that, that, that Jesus has done all these things and we can have confidence and we can understand that we are a part of this new covenant, that, that he has paid for our sins and all, and all of the, these wonderful ideas. And now he shifts his focus to application. We see that in 10, 19. And anytime in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, where you see these first two words, our alarm bells should go off. It means that, it means that the, the author has just finished one argument, and now he's going to tell you what to do about it. Right? <laughs> and here in 19, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can... Boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And so we have this, and so. And it's a pivot. It's a cue. Anytime you see that in Scripture, we should pay attention. So in view of all this stuff that we were just talking about, all of this, this new covenant that Jesus did, and so... He turns to these four action points. And, and each one of them he, he, gives, he indicates with this, this little phrase, let us. We're going to see this in the next n- number of verses. We're going to see it four times. Let us. It's a, it's, it's a call to action. Anytime you see that, that phrase in Scripture, it's a, it's a practical application point. And I love it too because it's, it's not only is it a call to action, it's application, but it also, it's a communal call. He didn't say let you, he said let us. I, I feel like I say this every, almost every week, um, and I'm just going to keep saying it until I, I act, start acting like it. Following Jesus is a team sport. That's one thing we learn, we know in Scripture. It, it is a community activity. And we see that here in this action, this call to action that he gives us four of us. If we're gonna, how, do we, how do we live out this reality of, of this new covenant? Here are four ways that we can, four action points that we can do together to live that out in our lives. Verse 21 says, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, love that that kind of picture, Jesus ruling over the house of God. Verse 22 says, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting in him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed pure with water. How amazing is that? We have 24-7 access 
to the presence of God. The first thing that the the writer encourages us to do is spend time confidently in God's presence. Everything else flows out of that. That's why we that's why we gather on Sunday mornings to corporately come together to worship to lift up his name. How do we how, what does what that even we're talking about God's presence. How do we go into God's presence? There's there's not just one way. There's many ways that we do this. Through prayer, through, through worship and singing songs, through listening, just trying to to quiet Quiet our minds, quiet our hearts, and give, give God opportunity to, to speak to us, to guide us. Through reading, reading scripture, reading um, first and foremost, but also reading the encouragement of other believers. Did you know that um, scientifically, the act of reading is considered an auditory process? Learn this a little bit ago. I thought it was fascinating. When you read something, scientifically, what goes, you know, neurochemically, what's going on in the brain, they classify it as an act of listening. And so when we read scripture, we are literally listening to the words of God. This is the first action point that the, that the writer tells us. We have to be spending time confidently in God's presence. And he goes on, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. So how do we, how do, we do this? This one's a little more abstract. How do, we, how do we hold tightly to something? How do we hold tightly to this hope? Um, and th- this could be a series into itself. How do we, maybe we'll do that sometime. Hold tight. <laughs> How do we hold, hold on to hope? Um, it's, but we don't obviously have time to do all that today. Um, so I want to focus on just one. And it, it, it's, it's a big one. It's a big one for, for most. It's a bigger one for some than others. It's your mouth. It's your mouth. Um, <laughs> the Bible over and over teaches about the power of the tongue. And there has been, I feel, a, a tendency, I felt it in myself at times, a tendency to shy away, I think, in, in some Christian communities um, from focusing on this truth because one of the things we're seeing in the, the, the culture, the broader culture today, is this kind of this growth of, under, not understanding, but really of, of perversion of this reality. Right there's there is this growing um, focus from the world on on the power of our words, and we see this a lot in kind of um, this uh, new age new age theo- uh, theology, um, where where we it's all about you know you speak things into existence, and 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 we as Christians and wanting to stay orthodox, we see these things on the rise, and so we get we get um, you know our. our the hairs go up on the back of our, our neck, and we, you know, we want to stay away from that, which is which is right and is is good that we are are vigilant uh, about the truth. But we can't allow somebody's perversion of the truth to allow to make us fearful of the truth that they're perverting. Right? 
And, and the fact that there, God has given you and me a level of delegated authority. And the primary way we exercise that authority in this life, in my life, in your life, in the world, in our families, is through our mouths. Scripture says that there is life and death in the tongue. It has an effect on others, and it has an effect on ourselves. Both what we say and what we don't say. Jesus taught that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know if you are trusting God, track how much of what you say lines up with what you say you believe. What is your response when someone or something you know, says something to you about something going on in your life? Is your, is your default response to automatically jump to the, the worst possible can, uh, scenario and verbalize that? If somebody, somebody uh, comes and, and tries to edify you or encourage you, is your, is, is your, your response to verbally, um, out of some kind of like twisted idea of, of humility, to, to like shut them down and, and deny deny the fact that they, that God has put good things in you paying attention to what we say and what we don't say is a great evaluation tool what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what is in your heart and choosing what you say can be a great tool of transformation you know, a lot of times we think it, we have to, everything starts on the inside with our, with our emotions and with our, with our uh, you know, with our, with our emotions and our thoughts. We have to change those and that will change the way we speak. And sometimes that is the way it works. But sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes we have to choose to change what we say, and in changing what we say, it changes how we think and then changes how we feel. You know, it, it, we think, it's funny how our emotions are these, these things that we, we are, are so, I'm a guy and maybe it's just me, but I, they're just so foreign to me. Like, they're, they're my emotions, but I don't, I never really know where they come from. I don't know how to really manage them very well. Um, so mostly my go-to move is to just, like, stick them in a box and try and shove them down in my pancreas. Um, but we have the ability, even through our own words, to shape and affect our thoughts and our emotions, It's one of the tools that God is... They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Part of what we need to overcome sometimes is our inner thought life and our inner feelings. And sometimes the Lord is going to use your choice of submission with your mouth to release the, the breakthrough that you need in your inside stuff. You know, there's a, there's a study that um, says if you just, if you smile for like 
45 seconds, your body will start producing the happy chemicals in your body. Just because you're smiling. Isn't that that funny? God has given us some physical things, some physical tools that can affect our emotions and our thoughts. So what we say matters. And it can be a, a, a tool of transformation. You have to be intentional about speaking his promises and not constantly making sure we, we you know, we got to make sure we're right about everything. So we always have to make sure we call the worst possible case scenario that might happen. I know this because I am, I am great at this. I am it's one of, one of my gifts is being able to find every possible way something can go wrong. Um, and there, I'm, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying we have to be, we have to be, uh, pretend like nothing bad's ever gonna happen or ignore those thoughts or those threats because that's, that's just not wise, right? We have to, I'm convinced, I have this pet theory that, that, um, there's a lot of people in life that are late all the time just because they're optimists. Just because in their assessment of, of getting to place B from place A, they just, as they, they make that, that plan, they just assume everything is going to go right. They just assume it's only going to take four minutes to get the kids in the car. And, you know, there's not going to be a line at the drive through and, you know, there won't be a car wreck and all those things. I'm not saying we have to be ignorant of of. of you know, possible obstacles or anything like that. I am saying it shouldn't be the majority. It shouldn't be our default. It shouldn't be the focus of our, of our language or our thought process. I, um, I got this little uh, frame that actually uh, Shannon has it in, in her office at home. Um, I got it years ago for her, for her office, but I, 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 think I got it for her, but it really is probably something I need to look at more often than she does. And it said, it just simply says, what's the best thing that could happen? That's an important question for me personally to ask myself regularly because I'm real good at asking the other one, right? What's the worst that could happen? I I can answer that question like that. But some of us need to start learning to ask ourselves, what's the best that could happen? Let's start, let's start, let's start Opening the possibility that God is going to do something that is going to blow my mind. Let's start speaking in a way that that creates conversations that assumes God is going to be who he claims he's going to be. He is going to be faithful. He's going to provide. The relationship can get fixed. That sin has been forgiven. The car will make it to the gas station, and you will have some money to put gas in that car. <laughs> so let us. i got to keep going. Verse 24, number three. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now notice here, it doesn't say let us do acts of love and good work. It says let us think of ways to motivate each other to do acts of love and good work. Again, it's a, it's a community, it's a group effort. You know, the best way I know to motivate somebody, someone else to do acts of love and great works, though, is to bless them with acts of love and great works, right? That's not, nothing spurs that sort of uh, environment on in somebody else than, than, to, than when you receive those sorts of things. And I love the way the author starts this by says, let us think of ways. That, that phrase is so, so descriptive, you know. It's highly intentional. It's not just, it's not just, let me do these nice, you know, these acts of love and good works just because that's just who I am. I'm a loving, giving person. It's let us, no, it's it's let us think of ways. That's that's like, okay, let's sit down, let's have a meeting about it. We're going to put it on the calendar. We're going to budget for it. We're going to pre-choose that we are going to do acts of love and good works to others to motivate them to do acts of good work, and we're going to figure out how, that, how we can do that. It's an intentional act. It's not just when we feel like it. It's not just an emotional response, which is great. There is nothing wrong. It's never wrong to emotionally do acts of love and good works. That's phenomenal. But that shouldn't be the only thing that causes you to do acts of love and good works. Because, let's be honest, a lot of times, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. But that does, my feelings about it doesn't change, doesn't change the directive. And the reality is, I think, the reason we collectively don't feel like it is because we collectively haven't been making it as intentional as we should, so we are not motivating each other to love and good works. It's a, it's a momentum thing, you know. I, I remember... Years ago, I was at a, I was a part of a, a, a discipleship internship um, <clears throat> group, and uh, and the first there was there was the, a, a season of it that was just really really sweet, and there was, um, I don't know how it started, but somebody in the group there's about thirty of us, and we're you know we're all in our mid to early twenties, so we're all broke. Um, we're living in host homes in, in, um, uh, of this, this church in Youngstown, Ohio. And um, I don't remember how it happened, but somebody had a need. I forget what it was, something really practical. And somebody else in the group um, like met that need. And it was in this, like a sacrificial way. Like I, I forget if it was a code or maybe they need their oil changed and they, they paid for it. I don't remember. But... What happened is this just quickly, this whole, uh, this whole, it was just for, for like this three month period where it just was a snowball effect where every day it seemed like somebody was finding, it wasn't an intent, like, it wasn't like we had this program set up where we were playing this game, you know, but it really turned into this like unofficial game of like blessing tag. Where like every time, every day you went in and somebody had done something for somebody else. 
And it just created this amazing um, sense of, of belonging and security and joy. I really believe that that is, that is, that is the type of culture that, that, that we can have. If we'll be intentional. And it's one of those things, like I said, it's a momentum thing. The, the more we invest in it, the more intentional you are about it, eventually you get momentum. And, it, and it, it's easier, it becomes easier and easier for that to be a part of the culture, a part of your life. Because experientially, now you, you have the fuel of being motivated by others. So let us think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. And then finally, verse 25, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There were a number of, of people who, who had stopped coming at that time to, to this church. Remember, this is the writers writing to groups of, of Hebrew Christians, and they were experiencing, um, the reason he's writing is a lot of them were, had been really discouraged, and that discouragement ha- had led to many of them uh, to, to stop coming to the corporate gatherings and, and to isolate. And I don't think that's unique to them Many of us, when we get discouraged or we're hurting, our reflex is to withdraw, right? We just, I don't want to read around people. But the reality is that is, that, is, that is the enemy doing work on you because it's the exact opposite of what you need. You know, Scripture says the enemy is like a roaring lion. I watch... I've become in the last number of years somewhat of an expert on lions, um, mostly because my, my son Cohen is obsessed with all things animal, and I've, I, I've probably seen a dozen documentaries on, <laughs> on lions because he loves to watch these things. And one thing that I, I know, um, lions, the way lions hunt, you know, we see them as these big, massive, you know, scary creatures that can take anything down. But they're really actually very sneaky. Their, their preferred way to hunt, if they could have it their way, is hide in a field, wait for a herd to go by, and wait for one of the animals to stop paying attention that the herd has moved on. And just sneak up, cut it off from the herd, and have lunch. That's the picture of the way the enemy likes to work with it. He, his number one goal in hunting you is get you alone. That's why the author here says that we, we, we must not neglect our meeting together. We need to come together. And we need to watch out when, we, when, others, when we notice that others have, are, are doing that. Right When we have family or friend that, that you notice, you just kind of notice that they're absent from, from your life. Right? Maybe, it's on, maybe it's a church relationship, but maybe it's just a friend or a, or a, you know, a family member that you, you used to, you know, you just realize, we used to, I used to see them like week, every week and I haven't seen them in weeks. That should be a check on, that should be a warning light for us to check on them, to encourage them. It's, invi- it's vital that we, we come together. This, remember, this is a let us. Let us not neglect the coming together. 
That is, that is both on the person who has isolated and on the group that has not pursued them in their isolation. Jesus has ushered in this amazing new covenant and has given us the privilege of participating in its rollout. And I want to... Just as I close today, I just want to challenge you this week to pick just one of these let us's to focus on. Just one. I mean, there's a ton in all of these. You could, you know, you wouldn't get through all of them. So my challenge is to just, which one of these do you, do you, are you going to spend some serious thought, serious prayer and come up with some ideas of how you can take the next step in your own life on these things. Maybe it's to let us go into the presence of God sincerely. Maybe you need to, to be more intentional or find some new ways to reinvest in your, your relationship, your personal time alone in God's presence. Or maybe it's just to renew your commitment to coming to corporate gatherings in his presence. Or maybe it's, let us hold tightly to the hope we affirm. You need to take stock of what you are saying and make some changes. <clears throat> maybe it's the, let us motivate each other to love and good works. You, you know, you need, to, you need to get on mission and start reaching out to some people. Or maybe someone that the Holy Spirit's just leading to as we were talking about it. Excuse me. And let us all commit not to neglect our meeting together. Following Jesus is a team sport. We're all on the same team. So let's all get in the game. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, that you encourage us through it, that you you. You give us practical steps. You give us guidance on how we can live. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to live together and live out your life together. Jesus, thank you for your amazing sacrifice that we've, we've talked about, we've thought about, we've meditated on today. How, how different life is because you, you chose to come and sacrifice yourself for us. Pray that you would this week just... Um, Holy Spirit, would you just convict us, convince us, remind us of these, these action points, these let us is that we need, to, we need to take to the next level that, that can open up our lives, open up the, the joy, the power that, that you have resident, you have deposited in us to encourage and to accomplish your kingdom goals this week. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's have a great week.